Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. Football Friday. we got to focus on the NFL now. The colleges are all done, but the NFL playoffs are starting. Doubleheader Saturday, tripleheader Sunday, and then for the first time, a Monday night football playoff game. Because Monday night in primetime is more valuable than Saturday at 11 a.m. The Rams and the Cardinals have to play on Monday night. It doesn't matter to the loser, but the winner is going to have a very short turnaround. Can you imagine the Cardinals winning on the road, which could happen, and then having to play another road game on Sunday? Yeah, that's brutal. But NFL's chasing the money. We're going to talk a little football right now, get a little look at the playoffs. Lincoln Kennedy, a portion of our conversation yesterday. If you want to hear the whole thing, you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Everything in the show, you can get wherever you get podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, blah, blah, blah. Stitcher up, up and down the line, wherever you get your podcasts. Here's part of our conversation with Lincoln Kennedy. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game since the 1990 season, the 91 playoffs. They beat the Oilers. And the Oilers moved to Tennessee. We don't even have the Oilers anymore. That brand is gone, <laughs> which is too bad because that was a great brand. Yeah, the was, Raiders haven't won a playoff game since they beat the Titans, a.k.a. the Oilers, uh, in the AFC title game in 2002. Now, the Bengals have been to the playoffs. The Raiders have played one playoff game since then. Now, as you point out, you know they got guys coming in from other teams, so that can bring some playoff experience to it. But two teams with so little success... How does that figure in? What does that matter? Who do you trust the most when you don't have any recent experience to trust anybody? Well, you, you know, you just you just dated me because the Raiders haven't won a playoff game since I played, which was two decades ago. <laughs> so you, you just dated me. I was on that team that beat the AFC Titans, uh, beat the Titans for the AFC Championship, and then I'm going to Super Bowl. So yes, I, I remember it vividly. You know, when you talk about the for the Raiders, the the 2016 season. Derek Carr was on pace, in my opinion, to have an MVP caliber type of year until his ankle was broken. They ended up going to the playoffs to play the Texans with a rookie quarterback, which is the first time that ever happened in the playoffs. So you're right. As, as this roster sits right now for the Raiders, there were only two players that were on that team the last time they went into the playoffs, Jalen Richard and Derek Carr. That's it. Everyone else is brand new. Now, there have been other guys that have had playoff experience, Super Bowl experience at KJ Wright with Seattle and stuff like that. But it doesn't necessarily carry over to where the Raiders' momentum is. So I think that kind of affects them when you talk about this game. Uh, for the Bengals, pretty much really, really similar situation and even a lot more just brand new team. But, you know, it, it's, one, it's what provides for maybe a, a possibly entertaining and exciting game. Because the Bengals throughout this season have got their offense started. They're, they're, they've been able to air out the ball. Joe Burrow is having a, a tremendous year. He's got tremendous support from wide receivers. And this Bengals team's beat the snot out of the Raiders, I think it was week 11, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, the, the, the Raiders have got a little bit of a um, sort of an experience of playing this team and seeing this team up close. And the Bengals have got you know their work cut out for them. But they're division winners, so they get a chance to host a football game. So it should make for an exciting wild card. Anything could happen. I think the momentum of both these teams um, – and, and more so the Raiders and the Bengals because I've never liked backing into the playoffs, but I understand why Cincinnati uh, sat a lot of their starters for the Cleveland game um, and, and just you know came in with the loss. I think they feel comfortable with what they have. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because weather will be an issue. Um, whether it's snowing or it's just downright cold, it's going to be blistery one way or the other out there. Um, and the Raiders aren't necessarily familiar with playing in that type of cold, playing in Allegiant Stadium, and, and more importantly, get the benefit of the doubt on the road game 
games that they had this year, uh, and, and whether or not Cincinnati is, is, is ready to really handle those. So it should be a very entertaining wildcard game. Do you think Burrow is on the verge of being really, really big team, big time? I mean, super elite because he's got the stats that would look like it, but he doesn't have the experience in the postseason. Well, that's that's where it's going to come. I mean, that's where it's going to come up, and this is his first opportunity at that. Uh, I already think Joe Burrow is considered one of the elite quarterbacks by a lot of people around the league. Just doesn't have the wins to support it. Now, when you talk about elite, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers who's got a Super Bowl win, or Tom Brady who's got several Super Bowl wins, and that's sort of what's gauged as far as a quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the same thing. Um, he's not there yet, but this is his first opportunity to maybe start that journey to be that. So at least he's got a little more experience in the league. I'm looking at New England trying to ride a rookie quarterback in the playoffs and thinking Jalen Hurts with Philadelphia and then the situation New England finds themselves in with Mac Jones. Like Those are the two teams to absolutely pick against. You buying that? No, not necessarily, because the difference is going to come down to coaching. It's the difference maker in Bill Belichick. You know, Belichick has had a... Uh, a, a tradition, if you will, or a history of taking away what opposing offenses have done well. Mac Jones has been able to play within his own self. Not necessarily have to to, to, to be that you know that go getter that does a lot. You know, Bill Belichick is supported with a defense and a good team, um, but but Mac Jones has made those critical throws or those those throws that needed to be made at, at the right time. I think he plays within himself. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. I, you know, I, I think they're they're on borrowed time. I didn't think they were a playoff bound team, even though they found themselves in the playoffs. But I still think they've got some ways to go. But the thing is, is that they're good. Their formula for winning football games is a good old fashioned formula that carries over this time of year. They're able to run the ball. If they're able to run the ball, if the team is able to run the ball, you're able to have success. And that's what the Philadelphia Eagles have had the pleasure of having. Momentum, Lincoln, can be fickle at any level. And you got some teams that are storming in the playoffs, other teams like Arizona, maybe even the Rams with their disappointing loss last week. Not that they're backing into it, but they don't really have the momentum. How much do you believe in momentum playing well at the end of the season, being able to carry over? 100%, because I think momentum builds confidence. I think if you go into the playoffs and you sit there and create excuses of why you weren't able to win or you, the way that you got there, I think it kind of affects your, your overall sort of a, a, a draw for the game as a team, collectively as a team. If you're able to win, you're confident. Win, winning builds confidence. That's why I've always said, even in preseason, it doesn't matter when the wins or losses, but wins build confidence. You're able to better coach off of a win than you can off of, off of a loss on this, on this level. And more importantly, players who look at themselves looking forward going forward are more ecstatic more happy to come off of a win rather than coming into off, off of a loss the Rams and the Cowboys are both 12 and 5 which is right. a, a pretty good record but I don't think the public really trusts either team uh, the Cowboys in part because they beat up on a really bad division went 6 and 0 there and went 6 and 5 against everybody else and then to PK's point the Rams just when you want to trust him you watch him you're like oh what was that that was painful Blowing a 17-point lead. Which team do you trust less, the Cowboys and the Rams? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, boy. You know what? It, 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 to me, and to be honest, guys, and, and 
I'm not just trying to wiggle out the question. I, I think it's pretty even. Matthew Stafford tends to throw a lot of interceptions in a situation yeah. he did towards the tail end of the season. The Cowboys really don't have a running game without you know Tony Pollard. Um, you know they, they keep relying on Ezekiel Elliott, who's not getting it done for some reason, and they're beat up with offensive line issues. However, the, both teams, the Rams and the Cowboys' defense, can be impact makers. They have the players to be impact makers. If it wasn't for COVID, I think things would be a lot different, especially for the Cowboys. I, I think they're pretty much even. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them out. However, I will say this. I did make a little side bet earlier this year that once the Rams got Matthew Stafford, they would be an NFC championship. So I do got a little bit of money waiting for you know Stafford and the Rams to get to the NFC championship. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> do you have the uh, Packers as the clear favorite in the NFC then? No, I didn't choose that. The only the only sort of uh, what prop bet I chose was the fact that the Rams were going to be in the NFC Championship. And I thought wholeheartedly once they got Matthew Stafford, they got the quarterback that put him over the top. I didn't expect all the other injuries and all the other intangibles to come into play, but, you know, it is what it is. There's Lincoln Kennedy, the Raiders play Raiders radio analyst, working with the play-by-play guy Brent Musburger. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, college hoops, KenPom.com. Ken Pomeroy came up with his own formula, and now they use it to seed March Madness. What do you think of college basketball so far? The Pac-12, the Big 12, the West Coast Conference. We'll talk with Ken next. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We talked with Ken Pomeroy. KenPom.com. And when it comes to uh, basketball and ranking all 350 teams, he's got a formula that's been really good for a long time. Now, we talked to him in yesterday's show, so he didn't know what was going to happen in BYU and Gonzaga specifically, but big picture on where conferences are stacking up here in January. Here's Ken Pomeroy with PK and I. Ken, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, am I in the original or the initial or the normal Joe Ingles spot here? That correct? Uh, this would be early for Joe. He might okay. do an eight thirty appearance. He tends towards right. the eight forty five, eight fifty, or nine oh five. All depends on the okay. schedule, which usually depends when he has to drop his kids off. So there you go. He uh, has yeah. gone as early as eight. Yeah. So Ken, I, I don't want to. Say, to oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in honor of Joe Engel, it would be really cool to get ejected from from something. <laughs> okay. Keep it up, Ken. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping you can eject me from this uh, interview at some point. Out of here! <laughs> uh, we don't want to bore people with your whole backstory because a lot of people know it, but there are people listening who don't know that you have uh, cooked up a, uh, a formula to assess and rank all 350-whatever, wherever we are now, college basketball teams in Division One, And you got so good at it that the folks who do the NCAA tournament, the actual basketball committee, started using it as one of their data points as they try to seed the tournament. You've done it for a long time. You've come on our show. You've talked about stuff. Nobody gets them all, but you get a lot of stuff right. And I know you got a lot of confidence in your system, but I'm curious how much your system is tested and how much your confidence wobbles this year because teams are playing, they're stopping, they're starting. Uh, teams are playing without some players, so they're not at full strength. How much does that really wreck what you're trying to do? And, and how much do you think there's enough information you'll get to March and have a really good idea what's going on? Well, it, it is annoying. I will say it is an annoying issue that, uh, you know, games are getting canceled or teams play at partial strength. And 
my system was never never designed for the kind of uh, uh, roster changes that are, are happening kind of on a weekly basis um, this season. But you know, it was way more of a problem last season, and you could definitely notice. I mean, I you know I track the accuracy from day to day of, of all the predictions, and you know last year there was a noticeable uh, degradation in the quality of the predictions. This year we're actually pretty close to to normal for a normal year, so uh, I'm encouraged by that. And in general, I think I think it's going to be okay. I mean, we, we're obviously going through a period here where there's you know. 10 to 15 percent of the schedule every day is, is being canceled, but it seems like we are rapidly getting to a point where there are fewer like cancellations being announced. Like there's still, you know, like today you look at the schedule and there's a bunch of games that have been canceled, but they were canceled like you know six, seven days ago. Like we're, we're not hearing a lot of news, you know, yesterday or today of, of next week's games being canceled. So, um, so I think that's encouraging. I, I think we'll be. I think we'll be in great shape by the time we get to, to March. Plus, there are going to be more games played this year than last year, so that that will help as well. Yeah, I'm thinking, Ken. The like the Pac-12 has already announced some makeup games. Uh, the Utes are playing at two o'clock on Sunday down in Tempe, or Monday, I think it is. So, with that in mind, they'll play the games more than likely. So, if the system is a little bit flawed now, wouldn't it stand a reason that it would catch up? Yes, it would, and I think that's another another good point. Last year, when we were dealing with cancellations, they were pretty randomly spread out throughout the year, and you know you got postponements or cancellations in late February, like you obviously weren't making up those games. This year, I think there's hope that, like you said, so a lot of these games are back on the schedule, and I, I think that, you know with you know just it's kind of standard common sense here that if uh, a bunch of teams are getting you know getting knocked out here in early January, like, you know, they're not going to be canceling games in mid-February. So, so I don't know if we're going to end up playing every conference game this year. I think that's probably unrealistic, but you know, you look like, even like, I was just looking at the WCC and like the most, I think Gonzaga's had like three games postponed or canceled that aren't on the schedule. And that's like the most in the league. And you know, you go back to last year, I think like St. Mary's ended up playing like nine games total, you know, in, in conference. So we're not going to have a, a situation like that this year. So that's that's pretty encouraging. Ken Pomeroy joining us, KenPom.com. So let's just stay with the WCC. BYU got off to a great start. I assume they were an NCAA tournament team, and it was just a question of where they would be seated, and they racked up some impressive wins early on. They've still got a good record, but they're missing two bigs, and they struggle to score. And I'm curious how much wiggle room they have because I think they're NCAA tournaments. If I had to guess right now, I'd guess they miss it. I'm, but that means that I'm assuming they're going to lose some ugly games on the road, and that that's going to sink them and all that. How much wiggle room? Do, how much of a cushion do they have right now? I'd say quite a bit. I mean, the story in the WCC is that obviously you have Gonzaga; they're they're going to be there, and then you have. BYU and St. Mary's and now San Francisco that are chasing bids. And I think, you know, BYU getting the win over St. Mary's um, last week will, uh, you know, certainly put them as the front runner of those three teams. Like the WCC is not getting one bid. You know, they're going to get at least two. They might get three. And if things work out exactly perfectly, they, they could get four. Um, so as long as BYU maintains that foothold as, as the second best team, um, they're a lock. If they, even if it's close, they're going to be in great shape because what they did in non-conference was better than you know anybody else did in the WCC except for Gonzaga. So, um, so I think they're in pretty good shape. Uh, I wouldn't, 
I don't know what the, the cushion is, but obviously if they, they lose six or seven games in the league, then they're not in good shape. But here's the thing, too. The WCC is it's just it's really set up pretty well for teams to get bids this year. You know, in past years, you, you would have this group of teams like ranked between, you know, 75 and you know, 150 or something. And those are teams that, you know, the NCAA selection committee just kind of disrespected. If you lost to them, it was frowned upon for sure. But those are the types of teams that you can definitely lose to on the road if you're, uh, you know, not Gonzaga. And those teams really don't exist in the league this year. Like Santa Clara is there, but, you know, the, the rest of the league is really disappointed. The bottom of the league is, is, is worse than it, it usually is. So uh, that makes the, you know, the road to avoiding bad losses a lot easier than it used to be. And so I think that will also play into BYU's hands. Project ahead for us and tell us how good the Big 12 is going to be when they have their new members because they're already really good, but they're adding some pretty good basketball programs, man. Do you see them just being even better? Not even better. Not even better. Can't go there. But the thing is, you know, six, at least six of the last eight years, they've been number one, uh, the number one conference in my system anyway. Um, they're going to do that this year. Uh, easily, like they're like just far and away the best league in the country. So, um, you know, you take out Texas and Oklahoma, and and those haven't been exactly like the flagship basketball programs in the league, but they've been good. Like, you know, average average programs in that league. We're talking a very good league, and you know, you replace them with uh, the teams you're replacing them with, and uh, they will take a bit of a drop. But obviously, like as long as Kevin Sampson's at Houston, which I don't know how much longer that will be, but um, as long as he's there. You know, you'd expect Houston to be amazing, obviously coming off the Final Four and uh, still had a Final Four team this year, lost a couple of, of their rotation players due to injury for the rest of the season, so it'll be more challenging for them. But um, that program's in great shape. Uh, Cincinnati is, uh, you know, a traditional, you know, solid team, uh, kind of a rebuilding year this year. But, uh, you know, have a great young coach in West Miller, so they'll probably be pretty solid. UCF is probably the weakling of this group, but um, again, they've you know really kind of raised the level of their program, and uh, you know they're having a solid year for them. And obviously, BYU is, seems to be on the right trajectory. And you'd think some of that's tied to, uh, to Mark Pope being there. But if you go to the Big Twelve, like you know Mark Pope's probably going to be there. So, so there's still a chance. It's like you know long term the best conference in the country. Uh, it's just. It, it will take a little bit of a step back. We've got to be honest about that. Has the Pac-12 taken a step forward, even if it's three teams that are doing it and nine teams are watching and taking credit for it and taking a bow? <laughs> right, yeah. So, you know, when we talk about leagues, like we just – a lot of times the league membership is a lot more interesting than just, you know, talking about a, a league average. And uh, the Pac-12 is – you know, one of the best examples of that than I've ever seen. Um, it, you know, I think the general perception in college basketball world is that the Pac-12 is bad this year. You know, there was some some expectation coming off the tournament last year that, hey, wow, they're going to turn a corner and, and the Pac-12 is going to be, you know, back to where it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, in general, that has not been the case. The bottom of the league is, is really bad. I have five teams ranked outside the top 100, which is uh, – not acceptable for a power conference. And, uh, you know, there's really only three teams that are going to be, like, at-large worthy, it appears. However, those three teams are awesome. You know, like, Arizona has, 
I think really been one of the surprises of the season. Like they did not get many votes in the preseason AP poll, and it's easy to like look back on that now and be like, oh well, we should have known. We should have known they'd be good. You know, a lot of guys coming back, brought in some key transfers, new coach, and it's just all come together in an incredible way for them. Like they're a legitimate, you know, Final Four type team. UCLA, you know, they haven't necessarily set the world on fire to start the season, but you know, they've been solid and obviously coming off Final Four appearance with basically everybody back. You know, they're a, they're a Final Four contender, and then you have USC, which just just suffered their first loss over the weekend, but um, they uh, they too are going to be a very nice seed. You know, but, um, you know, Andy Enfield has got things rolling there. So potentially, you know, a, a one, two, and three seed in the NCAA tournament, or a one, two, and two, or a one, two, and four, something like that. But you're going to have three teams that are all capable and will be seeded in a position to make a deep run, despite the fact that, as you point out, the other nine teams are just innocent bystanders in, uh, in this whole situation. We have an NCAA selection committee who makes the seeds and sets up the tournament. Any of these people ever get in touch with you and ask for your advice, your insight? They never do. They never do. And frankly, I'm insulted by that. <laughs> I mean, the, the most contact, <laughs> the most contact I've had with them, you know, it was about five years ago, you know, they invited a bunch of, uh, bunch of us guys out there. I don't know what you want to call us. I'm trying to avoid any sort of derogatory term, but, um, you know, they invited us guys out there to, to advise them on which way that the committee should, should go as they were, uh, you know, planning to dump the RPI and move to something, uh, more advanced to help them select their teams. And, uh, and that was great. And I thought, I thought, wow, this is like, you know, pretty progressive for the NCAA, giving a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, I had a couple conversations with them after that, but really what, you know, what they ended up doing was just kind of going their own way at that point. Even though you, as you mentioned, they have, you know, these six other metrics that they, they have at their disposal. They, you know, they created the net rating, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, a bad, a bad copy of my own rating, if I'm being honest. I mean, the, the ratings are, are pretty similar. The ingredients are slightly different and not exactly clear how it works, but, but they created that rating, and, and that's kind of, you know, what they what they rely on now instead of the RPI to make their selections. And so, yeah, I haven't really had any like significant contact with anybody in the NCAA office for, you know, at least a couple of years, I'd say. Before we let you go, last thing: how many teams from the state of Utah are going to be in the NCAA tournament? If you had to guess right now. Well, you know, it's a little bit of a depressing topic because I think three or four weeks into the season, like it was looking pretty exciting for, uh, you know, certainly at least Utah State, who's kind of fallen off a bit. Um, the youth, you know, you never really expected them to make the tournament, but there was like some hope, hey, maybe they could, you know, as bad as the Pac-12 is, maybe they could finish like fifth in this league and, you know, have a have a chance to grasp at some straws, you know, at the uh, Pac-12 tournament or something like that. But those two teams look like they're they're not a factor. So I think we got BYU, and I think we got somebody from the Big Sky, whether it's uh, Weaver State or Southern Utah. Like they're like the two best teams in that league, pretty clearly. And uh, after that, I guess you can grasp it. Uh, you know, Utah Valley maybe winning the the WAC tournament. But um, I'd go with two. I'd go with BYU and, and whoever comes out of the Big Sky. Ken, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Warming everybody up for Joe Ingles. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I, I really disagree with that call you made, though, about uh, two hours ago. And I would like to punch you in the face. 
Can you throw me? Can you throw me out of here? Eddie's out of here. You're gone. No, if you if I have to sit here and watch this game, then you have to sit here and watch this game. I think that was Frank Layden got that one night when he was trying to get thrown out. It was a bad game, and the ref knew what he was doing. He's like, no, you got to sit here and watch this game. And I got it too. All right, thanks, Ken. We appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. There's Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 in the zone. Time for the Joe Ingles Show. He joined us at 9 a.m. yesterday. You'll hear a few references to last night, referencing the loss to the Cavaliers and him getting kicked out. Here is Joe on 97.5 at 1280 in the zone. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. PK, it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, welcome back to your show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so many topics to hit with you. Uh, no, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so the team was skating through COVID while the rest of the league was having major issues. And then all of a sudden the Jazz have major issues. It starts with you. Just take us through it. Uh, how'd you find out? How'd you feel? How quick did you feel like you're bouncing back from it? Yeah, it was obviously um, I said in media yesterday, I almost feel like every team at some point was probably going to go through it. and We'd done obviously a pretty good job to um, I mean, we had a few here and there within the organization and, and close contacts or whatever they list them as. But um, obviously the team had done well of, of keeping as, as, I don't even know what you're safe or healthy as possible. Um, so I had a, obviously a, a family member, like I said, um, that I was a close contact to and then um, decided to get the family tested just to be kind of on the safe side. Um, and they were positive and then... We were in Denver, um, and the rules this year, anyway, obviously leading into Canada, you have to get tested before going there to play. So this is obviously 48 hours before we all kind of had to get tested anyway, and I was like, with obviously with my family being positive, I am obviously pretty close to them and have been around them a lot. Um, so I was like, let me just go get tested 48 hours kind of before we had a almost like a mandatory test anyway to to go to Toronto um, and obviously came back back positive. And um, kind of looking back, I, I guess I'm kind of glad I decided to, to go and test. I, I didn't have any symptoms. That's why I was, I guess, 50-50 on whether I even tested or not because I was felt completely fine. I've, I've felt completely fine through the whole process of, of this last kind of 10, 11 days, whatever it's been. Um, 
tested, I would have been positive and been around the guys for an extra 48 hours. So I guess who knows what that would look like with how, I guess, easy this, this new variant's been transmitted and passed around. So um, found out in Denver, stayed a couple of days in Denver to get my tests and obviously kind of go through this whole variety of tests before you, I guess, officially... I don't even know, diagnosed positive or whatever, be told I'm positive. Um, stayed there for a few days, then obviously made a decision um, with... So Renee's parents have been here for a little while. They were positive. Renee and the, kid, and the twins were positive. Um, made the decision to, to just go home and, and obviously quarantine together. There was no... Obviously speaking to the way more professional people than me. There was no extra risk to go home or to be passed it on more or less or whatever. Obviously, the, tw- the kids were the biggest worry, um, which they were good. The, the twins had no symptoms. Obviously, Jack, we couldn't isolate Jack by himself, so he, he was with us regardless and just kept a close eye on him. Um, we were thinking of putting him in a hotel by himself to, to not get it, but um, we actually never got him tested um, but he had a fever a couple of the nights. But, yeah, just a, a bit of a weird time, I guess, to go through it um, in, in terms of, like, I, like I said, I felt totally fine, but I, I, from you get on social media and everyone's tweeting about how you're this positive guy and <laughs> to stay away from everyone and you feel completely fine. Like, it, uh, it, was a, it was a bizarre kind of 10, 12 days, whatever it was, um, pretty quickly because of um, no symptoms and um, and all that so yeah it's been it's been bizarre last I think it'll be three or four days now whatever it's been since I've been cleared so then everybody in the in-laws they're all doing well everybody's okay yeah Renee was probably the the worst a couple of days in um, but in saying that obviously like really like flu-like symptoms, congested, sore throat, headache. Um, uh, like, honestly, like you would feel not downplaying how she felt because she did feel pretty crappy for a few days. Um, and she's kind of at the end of it now. But, yeah, just like that flu-like headache, runny nose, bit of a like congested and sore throat. Um, obviously, Renee's parents being a bit older as well, just making sure they were right. They had a few kind of minor symptoms, but I guess overall what people have gone through and, and seeing the numbers in hospital and, and all those type of things, we, we got out um, reasonably freely. Um, like I said, Jack had a fever for a, for a couple of days there and um, obviously just keeping an eye. Like I said, I think for, for myself and Renee, knowing we would probably be okay through it, but just making sure her parents and uh, and obviously the, the, the kids are, are obviously a worry uh, with Jacob and his stuff. So, um, yeah, glad we got out pretty freely from it. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it, it was a bizarre kind of, I think, Renee's, they found out, so they're up to like day 15 or 14 or 15 now. So, um, obviously we've been, we've been cleared and all that now, but it's, yeah, it's been a bizarre couple of weeks. So you got a couple technicals, and I was wondering if you the feedback you got from your wife was, uh, you know, what are you doing? Or she could see how chippy that game was, and she just let it go. Or, you know, what, do you second-guess yourself? What do you think? 
Oh man, it's just like a. <laughs> a I think there's a, a few things that are built up with it. And obviously, I was super pumped to be out there again. Um, probably didn't look like it getting thrown out, but I was excited to be back out there. Um, obviously, we were down numbers, um, which was a stupid decision by me. Obviously, because we're already down a couple of players, and um, we needed as many bodies as possible. Um, but yeah, just a frustration level. Obviously, there's this part of that in how how I have been playing and, and was playing that whatever it was last night. Um, obviously, I know I can can play a lot better, and, and that frustration of things just not really kind of clicking and, and um, not that I've ever second-guessed myself basketball-wise, but just um, wanting it, wanting it to, to kind of get back and get that, that flow back of obviously how I know I can play and probably taking it out on the referees isn't the, the smartest thing to do because that limits my time of being out there to, to keep figuring it out. But, um, yeah, it was just obviously a what I thought was a very easy call, the second one, and um, not downplaying the referee's job at all here, but, yeah, just, just thought they had missed a couple. and um, it was I think it was Boyan or whatever, so just trying to stick up for, for a teammate. And, yeah, just obviously brought over. I'm, I, I, can, I can promise you from this, I, I will never get thrown out again. I can promise you that. Um, Ooh. It won't. Yeah, it won't. No, it won't happen. I don't know what what punishment you can give me, but it's not going to happen again, so it's not going to matter. But <laughs> as of uh, today, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm going to get back to kind of enjoying myself out there and, and letting this letting the frustration go of, of how I've been playing, getting back to the basics of it and just being myself out there and enjoying it. And I think obviously you guys know and, and probably a lot of fans that have watched for eight years when I'm, when I'm smiling out there and having fun and, and obviously enjoying what I'm doing, it's it's when I, I play my best. So I just need to get back to that. And, um, I can I can promise you I won't be getting thrown out ever again. Well, we'll take your promise and we'll believe it because usually your word, in fact, I think your word always is good. One of the stuff you've told us anyway, you've always lived up to it. So I believe you will never get thrown out again. And uh, that'll, be the end. That'll, that'll be the end of it. I'm wondering... With all the COVID going on and Gobert still out, and then yesterday, you know, Whiteside and all this, you got three yeah. days with no games. What's the team planning to do? Because can you get together? Um, we can. There's obviously, um, I think every team, well, most teams have gone through a pretty rough patch at some point, and there's a few different protocols that you have to abide by um, during these times. Um, so, a bit extra testing, um, obviously with with the days we've we've got today off, which is um, which is nice, obviously for for the guys. I'm actually heading in now. Um, I've had enough days off, so um, I I use my uh, my get out of jail free cards in the Denver hotel last week. So um, yeah, I'll go in there. Um, I'll wait. I don't think I'll see anybody else in there, which is is obviously good. They had a Obviously, a long trip, um, and even just not the trip itself, but like you said, with, with all the, the COVID stuff going on, it's um, probably been a frustrating couple of weeks for, for everybody. So, um, different rules and testing and testing times, and um, you almost go back to what we were um, kind of at the start of this a couple of years ago when we 
we're learning a lot more about it. So uh, the guys will get to, to get away today and, and enjoy a, a day away from, from everything. And then obviously, um, I think we've got a couple of days still after that. So probably a, a good time for us to be able to get into practice a couple of days and, and kind of get back to, to the, the way that obviously we know we can play. And um, again, obviously with COVID and, and guys being out and, um, I mean, I haven't missed that many games in my eight years. Rudy's missed four or five in the last four or five years. Um, so it's been it's been. Yeah, we've, I don't. I mean, I don't think we've ever not played with a centre before. Um, me being me and Eric or whoever being the two tallest guys out there. So, um, like I said, it's not. There's no excuses. Um, obviously, we know we on that trip it was going to be a bit tougher. Obviously, last night it was going to be a bit tougher. Um, Again, it doesn't excuse us. We, we still have to go out there, try and play as as well as we can. But obviously, I mean, last night's a good example. We're obviously playing a fairly different style um, with five guards out there, uh, which I don't think we've really ever done um, since I've been. I, I think I got subunits to five, like one or two possessions, like three or four years ago. Um, but obviously, we've we've always kind. Of Uh, like I said, every every team's gone through it. It's, it's trust. The COVID stuff, and then obviously slowly we'll, we'll start to get players back, and um, and hopefully we can get back to our, ourselves. While you're out, do you watch NBA basketball and follow some of the storylines? Do you get away from it? Obviously, Memphis has won 20 out of 24, and John Morant is blocking shots with two hands at the top of the, uh, the box. But I don't know how much you tune all that out, or, or if you notice it more because you got more time on your hands. Yeah, I mean, in, in Denver, um, I was stuck in a hotel room for three nights or whatever it was. So not, uh, not a lot you can do in there. Um, Obviously, that's a part of the process of, of getting back to. Like, I'm, you can't go from sitting in a hotel room to, to playing an NBA game. Players and teams are, are, are too good for that. So, um, I did that. And then, obviously, I was glad to get home because I've got a gym at home and I can, can work out. Obviously, hadn't touched a, a basketball for a few days there, um, which is kind of like, the, I guess, the frustrating part during this whole thing. But you just kind of. In, in Denver, I was kind of stuck. Uh, I did watch a few a few more games that I'd probably ever watched before, or, or teams that I would not normally watch, just because I was I was in there anyway. And um, obviously, getting home was was very different. I wasn't watching NBA games, but obviously, with the, the kids full of COVID as well, um, they weren't at school or, or anything like that. So we were we were home twenty four seven together. Um, obviously. COVID not being the ideal situation to do that, but it was nice to almost like reconnect with my family and my kids a little bit and, and Renee and just be able to spend time with them. And um, I mean, I could probably count on one hand how many days I've I've had where I haven't had to abide by the jazz schedule um, and, and have to run off during Miller's soccer game or drop them at school and run into practice and, and figure all that stuff out. So... Um, that part of it was nice to, to kind of reconnect with my, my family and, and spend some time with them and be able to do Miller's schoolwork, the school center, her schoolwork home. So be able to sit there with, 
with her or sit there with Jacob and watch a movie, just, just little things that I don't normally to do. Um, a bit of basketball at the start, but then um, not much towards the end. Obviously, only the, the jazz games that, that I was able to watch or that I wanted to watch. <laughs> How long does it take to get out of NBA basketball shape? Well, I mean, I was obviously never out of shape, but it's just that, like I said, you go from... I was lucky that I could get out of the hotel and, and get back to, to Utah. And like I said, I, I had a gym and, and be able to do some stuff and get outside in the backyard and whatever, get some fresh air. But I mean, if you're, if I was in the hotel for three nights, four days, like if, if, if you are stuck in the hotel for, for whatever reason, um, for the entire quarantine period, it's, I don't think you necessarily like lose your fitness that quickly, but, I mean, there's there's no way any team. I think they they announce it as like reconditioning or whatever they put on the on the injury report. But it's obviously no one's sitting there like on a bike and treadmill, like trying to get in shape. It's just a no team's going to let a player go from sitting in a hotel or house for five or six, seven, however many days you're in the protocol to to guarding Jamarant or, or guarding Garland or whoever you're, you're playing. It's a um, that's a tough job to do when you <laughs> when you've been at practice the whole time. Never mind sitting in a in a hotel room. So there's obviously the protocol COVID wise to, to be cleared and, and be deemed healthy or, or whatever to, to play. And then obviously the team has a protocol um, just to make sure you you are you're good. And obviously for me as well, leading into the COVID stuff, I'd missed a couple games or the, the game and. Um, was probably 50-50 for the New Orleans game um, with, with my back as well. So sitting in a hotel room isn't, isn't ideal with a, a bad back, but we, like I said, you, you go through the process, you trust the people that are, um, are paid the money to, to make those decisions and, and give you the guidance on that. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, the NBA, the NBA is tough regardless when you're fit and healthy, never mind, like I said, coming off a, a five, six, seven day break. Yes, Ben has a piece on trash talking in the NBA and how it's evolving. And it starts with you and Jimmy Butler, and you have a great line, which is why it starts the piece. Butler was staring at me like he was bloody about to beat the bleep out of me, Ingles recalled. And then he found you before a game and basically said, uh, I want my money, you want your money, let's let it go. That's how it works, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was was bizarre because obviously early on in my career I didn't know anybody or or anything like that um i obviously was a kind of a i guess a fresh face in the nba and whatever and um yeah just wasn't i don't even know what happened i I remember getting i tried to like blow up a screen or something and like got knocked over and he was staring like standing over me staring and i was like I don't know what I'm about to do. And all I remember was um, uh, Trevor Booker jumped in front, like jumped in front and um, like grabbed him off me or whatever and like helped me up. And then I was like, man, Book's, Book was my absolute hero. And then, yeah, like <laughs> completely randomly, this is, this is my, like we'd been, we'd been, we'd been teed up um, a few times post that. And then, um, 
yeah, like completely. Like I said, I I never knew the guy. Um, but then completely randomly, I was stretching to the half court like I do every pregame, and and he came up to me out of nowhere and was like, "Yo, let's just like let's just let this go." <laughs> um, when he was walking up to me, I was a bit intimidated because I was like, "Holy, whatever." Um, this guy's probably gonna, who knows what he's gonna do or say to me right now because we have got into it so many times. And then, yeah, ever since then we've, um, I wouldn't say we're like best friends, but we've we've got along really well. And um, he actually helped me this summer with some property stuff where I was looking to to get some property where where he knows the area and um, actually helped me a, a fair bit. So um, yeah, very different. Uh, <laughs> turn of events to when I first met him. Do you think that the good can come from all this stuff, all this junk, this losing streak and the COVID and all that can benefit you guys in the long run? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a part of it, if if you don't have symptoms, obviously there's, there's people that haven't been feeling well, um, player or coach or, or whoever that is or, or, or the general public there's a lot of people obviously struggling with it but uh, I think for me it was like I said I had no symptoms the whole time um, I almost not that I wanted to get symptoms but it was like I, I was waiting for something to happen just because of the stories you hear and stuff like that and um, obviously for me having a, a pretty big couple of years I was it was the time to to use it as, as some rest as well, like to, to get in there and um, use it the right way. Obviously, I wasn't just going to sit around. I, I'd try to move as much as I could in my in my hotel room and then obviously in, in, at my, my house. But, um, yeah, use it to, to switch off a little bit. Um, obviously, had the season last year and two days later went straight to the Olympics and then came back and a couple of weeks later after that, I'm, I'm obviously in, in pre-season and, and the process of this. So, uh, I think, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> that's not a, like everyone go get COVID and use it to, to have a break. But I think if, if you end up in that situation, um, I mean, Rudy's the same as me, had a big summer. He's, I mean, he's missed a handful of games in his career. It's, it's probably obviously not nice that we haven't had him out there because it's a, a pretty big difference, obviously, not having him. But, um, if you use it the right way, um, and I guess is what I'm trying to say, get some rest, get the work in that you need to get. Get Obviously, we need to just keep playing the guys that are here, keep fighting through this, and, and whoever's available is available at the point. At, at this point, that's the that's the hard part. Obviously, have guys in and out. Hassan's out late with a, a test result or whatever. Like They're, they're uncontrollable. We, like There's nothing we can do if someone tests positive or... It's the same as injuries. We've been through it with the Jazz early on in my career with, with injuries and guys missing time. So, um, yeah, you just try and use it to the, the best of your ability. Obviously, some younger guys get opportunity. It was awesome in Toronto, I think it was, when the young guys get to play. And obviously, I'm, like, there's guys that I've never played with out there playing and, and Eli's doing unbelievable. Like, they're the... They're the the opportunities guys are going to get. Um, obviously, if we've got to weather the storm a little bit with, with what's going on, and um, hopefully, at the other side, we'll, we'll come out. We'll be we'll be healthy, and um, like you said, we you you want to get back to or getting back to kind of who we are and, and how we play. But um, obviously, with 
with the big fellas out, both of them, um, even Rudy Gay, it obviously is a very different way for us to play because we've, like I said, we've never not played with a centre um, since I've been here anyway. So, um, yeah, hopefully the hopefully the storm is uh, is passing over and we'll start to get players back over over this next next period and, and, and we'll get back to playing obviously how we how we know we can play and how we've played uh, obviously a lot of this year. Joe, we'll let you go and I've got it. I don't think you'll get kicked out because you told us you won't. But if you do, the penalty should be the penalty should be you have to do the show every day for a week. It would reward jazz fans. Alright, that's it. We can, that's a deal. I'll, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not going to happen, but, and you guys would hate me on there for seven days in a row, but, <laughs> um, no, if, if I do, I'll, I'll come. It's probably not a good idea because some fans will probably want me to come in every morning because <laughs> you guys stink and they want to hear from me. Um, but no, that's, we can make that deal. I'll, uh, I'll come on every day for five or seven days, or whatever, in the week consists of, and we'll, uh, We'll get through it. There's the deal. Joe Ingles. He joins us every week right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe, thanks a lot, and we will talk to you next week. Cool. Appreciate it, guys. All right, there is the Joe Ingles Show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.